Hey there, welcome to the Lead Bold Podcast, a place where we engage in incredible conversations with amazing leaders in ministry and ministry partners as we encourage and challenge one another to live fully into what God is calling us to be. Each episode, we'll dig into three questions. One, what is hard about being a woman leading in ministry? Two, what is one transformational or even trajectory-changing lesson you've learned about leadership? And three, what does it mean to you to lead bold? Our guest today is Dr. Michaela O'Donnell. She joined Fuller's faculty just last year as an assistant professor of their marketplace leadership. She is also the executive director of the Max Dupree Center for Leadership with Fuller and is the primary visionary and content creator behind Dupree Center's Blossoming Road Ahead program. It's a six-week experience that is designed to help folks transition, to take a breath, discern their next steps, and gain some clarity about what God is calling them to do. Her first book was released just in October, Make Work Matter, your guide to meaningful work in a changing world. And we encourage you to make sure that you add that one to your library. It's not one that you want to miss. We're excited to chat and hear from Michaela today. Let's hear from Andrea and jump into the episode. In this episode, we're bringing you our conversation with Michaela O'Donnell. As a high-level leader in an academic leadership setting, she has so much wisdom to share with our Lead Bold community. So for those of you who find yourselves with lots of plates spinning and lots of demands on your time and lots of expectations, you'll hear us talk about connecting all those fragments. Not to mention dealing with pain, not having to be perfect, and how to lead with your whole heart. We know you'll enjoy this episode of the Lead Bold podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey, leaders, welcome back to another Lead Bold podcast where we like to have um, relevant and just casual conversation with our guests because we have so much to learn from one another. I'm Andrea Coley, and I'm here with my co-host, Aaron Seth. Hey, Aaron. Hey, everybody. Excited to be here. I'm excited, too. And our guest today is Michaela O'Donnell. Hey, welcome, Michaela. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you and kind of get to hear where your leadership space is and what you've learned along the way. Um, and I heard a y'all in there. Are you? Do you have like Southern roots or what's happening there? That's a very good question. I went to school in Tennessee college and mm. I picked up a few things, including the y'all. And I actually <laughs> just think it's a good, it's other like, otherwise it's, hey, you guys, yeah. or hey, you and we don't know if it's singular or plural so i think y'all needs to be in everybody's vocabulary so i picked it up and i kept it i love that let's bring it back that and i think everyone should say bless her heart too mm. i like that <laughs> no yeah, i that gets a little more dicey bless your heart <laughs> yeah but yeah. i have i have been i have used the y'all and i've never lived in the south or had close friends even with you know kind of that that vernacular, but you're right. It is kind of, it's an easy kind of all the things. My, uh, my relatives are from New Jersey and Pennsylvania and the alternate wow. of y'all in that area is Yunes. Anybody yes, ever heard yes. Yunes? Yunes? Yeah, I thought it was How Yunes. Yunes? Okay, you, it okay. kind of depends where you're from. In, in okay. Pennsylvania and New Jersey, it's like Yunes. It may be, what'd you say? Yunes? Yins. Yeah, yeah, it might be yins depending on where you're at. It's it's uh you know what? America, we're a melting pot. What can we say? As a, I've got relatives in the New York and New Jersey area and it's always use guys. So use guys. Yes. Well, use guys, yins, y'all. Glad to be here. Glad to be in the conversation. Thanks for joining us today. 
Um, now, real quick, before we kind of jump into what our normal questions are, Michaela, I know we've all heard sort of formally, you know, what you do in your bio, but give us a snapshot into like a day in the life of you, of Yoon's, okay. of y'all. Yeah, of Yoon's, of y'all. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like y'all, even though I'm just one person here in the, the day of life of me. So let's see, I am a mom of two kids. I've got a six-year-old and almost three-year-old. So that keeps me very busy. I am the executive director of the Max Dupree Center for Leadership at Fuller Seminary, which is kind of based in Pasadena, but uh, we would say we have a global footprint. Um, and though I am much less active in our company these days, my husband and I about a decade ago started a company called Long Winter Media. It's a branding, film, etc. So my days are not, um, oh, and recently I've added author to the list. So my days are not without um, a lot to do. And so navigating uh, space in the different ways I lead is a very relevant topic for me um, on the daily. Yeah, I think so many of us can relate to that, like having to compartmentalize in a healthy way, maybe. <laughs> Segment is maybe a better way to think about it. Like, what am I doing this morning or this hour? Is that what you're finding yourself having to do throughout the day and the week? It's really, it's a good question in terms of balancing those things. I don't even know if balance is the right word because things no, are pretty much No, it's not the right word. I'll tell you right now. Yeah. I, 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 it's like, there's like, we want to use an artistic phrase. There's a mosaic or, you know, you've taken all the stained glass and together they come <laughs> to make something, but th that takes a lot of time and concentration. So in the daily, it's like the, the juggle, the, I don't, I don't know, maybe certainly not balance, but, um, I'm an, any, are you guys Enneagram fans at all? We are. Yeah, yeah. Sort of. Yes. Okay. So I'm an Enneagram seven, which means that I can just roll, roll, roll and not look back. And so the thing that you just said, Andrea, about, what does my day look like? Sometimes I don't know about how I've segmented and how I've overlapped and, and so on and so forth until I get to the end of a day. And it's more like it's sort of the, you know, kind of Christian practice of examine looking back, like how did that go? And how do I want to adapt for the day forward? But on my very best days, I it, it's no matter if I've got 10 different things that are taking me in 10 different directions, or it's more of a deep dive day, which that's how I segment. I do uh, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays are my deep dive days. I want to be doing things that are taking scuba diving like effort. And my Tuesday and Thursdays are my uh, snorkeling days where I'm just kind of like flitting from here and there in my work. And that, that's actually a pretty good segment for me. It doesn't work perfectly. But whether I'm doing deep dive or snorkeling, I find that it's about presence and like how present can I be? And that that's actually a challenge. It's not something I've mastered but because of all the different directions I'm pulled in, the constant invitation isn't balance, but is presence. And so um, I won't say that's how I segment it and I define it, but that's how I'm navigating all, all the overlapping space. That is good. I love that being present um, amidst all the juggling. That's great advice and a good way for us to kind of kick off some of our questions. Yeah, so let's jump in to our first question. Now, I know this has to do with why, what are the things that make um, leading as a woman in ministry maybe a little extra challenging? And Michaela, I know that you work with all kinds of leaders in the church, in the marketplace, men and women. What have you noticed can be a little extra challenging for those of us in a ministry setting 
that are women in leadership positions? I think that's a great question. And there's tons of factors here, some of them which are very pressing and relevant for me and others of which I hear different people talk about. So yeah, in our work at the Dupree Center, we are for leaders across industries. Interestingly though, whether people are running a small business or doing full-time parenting, a lot of people would consider their work ministry. And so there's this sort of very wide brushstroke of how people are defining that in terms of the leaders that I work with. And even in my own role, I work at an educational institution or a nonprofit. It's not in the church, but I certainly would consider it ministry. Though it would be interesting to hear what other people think of it, right? Our, our definitions certainly shape it. So as a woman in a ministry space, there's all kinds of stuff. First of all, I work at Fuller Seminary and I'm glad to work there. One of the distinctives of Fuller Seminary is that there's an equal view of men and women in leadership. And I notice that as a difference from other people I talk to, right? We, this is, this is sort of the, this is not, not the case for everyone. And I notice it because it's not just an espoused thing at Fuller. It's it's actually I, I really do feel valued equal as an equal partner in the work in my male colleagues. But that's not to say that there aren't gender dynamics that are operative in any situation that we're in. Um, and whether I'm working with my colleagues at Fuller or folks outside uh, or in service of the people that I think that the pre center is called to serve. So the gender dynamics and expectations and those come out in really small ways for me. It's like the, how people expect, you know, my presence to be, am I going to be assertive or am I going to be a jovial presence? How people expect me to be organized and sort of have the details covered. Cause you know, women take care of details and there's, just, but those things aren't said. They're just, they kind of sort of come out. So I've, I feel and I come up against some of those gender challenges, but the, the one that feels the most pressing both for me and also many of the women who I talk to in leadership positions is some of the stuff we've already been alluding to, which is just the overlap. Like we, we just got a lot going on in different segments and, you know, right this moment in some part of my brain, I'm thinking about my kids and I'm thinking about, you know, my team right at the same time that I'm talking to you. And I think it's, it's good and natural and normal, if you will, to have my brain be thinking about so many things at one time. And it's also very taxing. And and how do we deal with the fact that at any given moment, we're one person segmented or fragmented into multiple spaces. And at any given moment, trying to take those fragmented, segmented parts of our life back into one congealed person. I mean, I don't know if that that rings true or if that sense of conflict and the overlap comes up for y'all? Most definitely. I, I think that's really well said, um, that sense of kind of being fragmented, but ha holding that constant tension of also unifying ourselves to who we are, the work God's called us to do, our own gifting, our personality, like you brought up Enneagram. Um, Definitely. I, I think that that is something unique that women often hold. Um, I think, you know, regardless of what our family situation is, the way we hold relationships and intermix that with the way we lead. Absolutely. Erin, do you feel that in your life? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it definitely comes into play. I think when we're having to lead different people and sometimes the way that we approach yeah. because we're 
so consistently like a female females in general are like born for connectivity. And so we think so often about what has worked in relationships and how we have led our kids or how we've led our friends or how we've connected with our own parents in terms of the way we then think about leading others or the way that we try to cultivate and empower leadership in other people. And so it can get, you know, it's, it's such a gift in the sense that I think God has given us that ability to, to really have that connection and that, that part of our brain that can multitask and can be a thousand things in one person. But at the same time, like you said, it can be exhausting to try and um, understand and sometimes read the room and exercise the right thing at the Mm. right time. And I think that is when it becomes the most exhausting is what part of my brain and heart Am I, do I need to pursue in this moment? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes I think, and this may be off base to say, but I often think sometimes men in ministry or men in any kind of leadership, they're a little bit more linear, a little bit more tactical, yeah. right? They're kind of transactional in their thinking. And I think as women, we're very transformational. We're very community-based. And so we're constantly trying to reconcile how, what part of myself do I need to be in this moment? And, and not that there's anything wrong with that because we are all of those parts of who we are. But that that's what makes it so exhausting. Yeah, I, I love both of what you said. I, I was thinking about the exhausting nature and then also the opportunity there. So just yesterday I was talking with a, a leader. She's a she's a pastor. And, you know, I've been just as just as almost part of my fun work. I, sometimes I coach women who are in church leadership positions, particularly women who are starting churches or nonprofits. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. So I love just that that starting process. And I also know how hard it is and how, and how lonely it can be. So I was talking to this woman and we've been in a coaching relationship for years now and we're friends. And I remember the very first time I, I was kind of talking to her about this philosophy and, you know, her own leadership development. And she like stopped me mid sentence. She's like, I don't want to do that. That's like, that's like, do, do I have to do it that way? That sounds like what guys do. And I was like, and I was like, Hmm, that's so interesting. And, um, so we started breaking that down and together the two of us and many of us since have been on a bit of a journey to almost redefine what does, what are the models for women in leadership? What are the frameworks? And, and I actually think that some of this overlap starts to become one point of generativity. So just yesterday, her and I were talking about leadership as mothering. What does it mean to think about leadership as a model of mothering, of parenting, of birthing, of to use your word, Aaron, nurturing and um, also coaching and giving feedback and, um, you know, the things that you do in parents, I have small children. So my model is probably very, very tied to that, uh, but it, it was opening up our worldview. And instead of segmenting and thinking, okay, when we go into the leadership stuff, we've got to fall into a different category or check who we are at the door. Let's actually lean into some of the other, and she doesn't actually have kids, but just this feminine idea of leadership. Let's lean into some of those overlapping spaces in order to define the leadership situations we find ourselves in, which starts to internally feel a less like the the tension of overlap and more like the integration of it, right? Yeah, that's really wise. Uh, seeing it as a gift and it can be harder, um, kind of like with what Aaron was saying, to have to integrate those things. But yes, Michaela, if we if that is how we're wired on, on whatever whatever level, obviously women aren't all the same either. But if that's how we're wired, how do we lean into that more intuitive, maybe uh, fl- um, sort of a fluctuating type Mm -hmm. of leadership 
For sure. And, you know, we've talked about this before on this podcast that so many of us grew up with male leadership models. So we try to overlay that onto ourselves and feel like we must not be doing it right if we're not doing it that way. Sounds like some of the work that you're doing is helping women find that personal strength and that personal style and really having confidence in it. That's huge. I love that you're doing that. Yeah. I mean, one of the resources I recommend the most on leadership for women is actually Priya Parker's book. I don't know if you guys have read it, but it's called The Art of Gathering. It's not a leadership book. There's not like the words leadership are not in there. It's all about how to gather and to host and to set meaningful tables. And not that women are exclusively drawn to the work of hospitality, but we've certainly been enculturated toward it and therefore developed muscles in it and, and may feel drawn to it. And so to lean into that as actually a, not just a a model for events and a model for, you know, hosting things, but as a model for leading and for having meaningful conversations and doing meaningful work has been liberating for me in my own work at the Dupree Center with my team. I mean, I lead a team of seven and with our sort of part-time people and et cetera, it starts to balloon out fast to closer to 20. And one of the things I think regularly is like, how do I, how do I create and set meaningful space for people? Not in a way where then I extract myself and I'm only the table setter and leave and don't have a seat at the table, but how do I take that position and own that position as host and gather? So the, the models, uh, the feminine models for leadership, I think are, are wide and extensive and in many ways undiscovered because we're doing the work that you talked about, Andrea, which is maybe shedding or recognizing that the the models that have been before us are limited and are not the only good models and maybe haven't even borne all the fruit that we might hope that they would. Not that men don't bear fruit. I would never say something like that, but that there's just so much more to be discovered here. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I What I'm hearing too is just the real commitment to continual growth and development and learning which makes sense because you are at a seminary, so you should be about learning, I suppose, <laughs> should ha- have that as a value. Um, it segues really well into our next question, which is really talking about this idea is what is something that you have learned that has maybe changed the way you lead um, or has impacted it in such a way that you know it really shifted trajectory for you? Can you talk a little bit about something that you've learned along the way? Yeah, I, I appreciate this question. And originally I thought I would go in one direction, but even as we're talking, something sort of is surfacing in me. Um, I would say that the, at least over the last decade, and this might not be like earlier life stuff, but at least over the last decade, the most critical lesson for me as a leader has been what to do with my pain. And um, yeah, and and. <laughs> I, I've learned that lesson in painful ways. And um, I, you know, it just, you, you leak your stuff before you even know it as a leader, right? And you, you get your stuff all over people. And I am all for, uh, I mean, as hopefully demonstrated right in this very moment, the vulnerability of sharing and being, and I, I think that's another strength of women and the way women can lead but I've had to wrestle with my own pain because when I don't wrestle with it, it comes out in ways that do harm. And 
you know, um, I think it's Parker Palmer says basically the work of a leader is to get very, I'm going to misquote him, but to get very, very comfortable with what's going on here, lest we do more good than harm. You know, it's like, we want to do more good than harm in the world. And I think that it, I think I'm going to make paint some broad brushstrokes, but I think men culturally uh, toxic masculinity would say like we don't deal with pain right <laughs> we don't deal with pain and so that's trickled down into leadership spaces of leaders aren't like vulnerable like that right and i i just think i don't think that's helpful at all um you know where i thought i was going to go in this is a message about clarity which is founded in some of Brene Brown's work. And she would say that, that clear is kind, but it's actually her same work about dealing with shame and dealing with pain. And in order that we might be fully present and wholeheartedly invested in whatever we, we put ourselves toward, which I think most importantly in the context of leadership is people. Uh, I just think how, how we deal with pain is really critical as leaders and takes a particular shape for women we all got, we all have pain. So I don't want to say women have more pain than men, but it, it takes a, it takes a certain form, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me ask you this as a fellow Enneagram seven and mm. sevens are known for pain avoidance. Yes, how, ma'am. how have you dealt with your pain? Yeah. Uh, right. So of course my own work as a leader is very tied to who I am made to be in the image of God. And so my, my deep pain throughout the experiences of my life, the stuff we've all got has been something that is easy for me to run from. And um, it's interestingly in my work is a big place where I learned to deal with pain. So, and I think that that's probably the place I was avoiding it the most. I, I, you know, my mom is a counselor. She's a mental health professional. So we, like, like we got some of the like emotional intelligence stuff like opened up and I don't, I wouldn't feel, I mean, certainly there's trauma in my past and, and the things we all bring to the table. But one of the things that I um, did and the, one of the ways I worked it out was actually to create a process. So um, sort of nerdy in the academic approach, I did my dissertation on kind of practices for vocational formation and changing world. That's the root stuff that uh, is in the book that I just wrote, Make Work Matter. But you know, in the middle of this process, I, I was trying to actually, I was trying to help people become more entrepreneurial. And on day one, people are like, we don't really want to do that. That's not what we're here for. We're here because we don't have space to deal with stuff. And I'm like, Oh, okay. It was all women. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, okay. Like, let me like actually build toward what readjust. you need. Yeah. Readjust. And, um, so I built this process that helped all of us, namely myself first, because we're always, we're always creating the stuff we need. We're writing the stuff we need. We're right. teaching the stuff we need. I created something that helped uh, all of us get very in touch with pain points and longings. Like what do pain points reveal about what we're longing for? And then a multi-step process that helps us move from without, out of ourselves in toward others, toward empathy and imagination and risk and so on and so forth. And in creating that, that was the first place that I realized I had a bunch of stuff locked up. I'm like, oh, I got like I have pain. I have a lot of pain that's undealt with, and it's coming out in ways that are not great. And so, um, developing regular rhythms about being able to be honest, and and not just my own stuff and my own process. There's tons of people who have been a, a guidance in me in that, but 
regularly engaging tools that help me name the pain because I don't do it as naturally has been core to me help me naming my pain. That's really beautiful. And I think that there is something to be said about being able to do our best work when we feel that we can be completely ourselves. That like yeah. in the space where we feel the most safe to tr- be who we truly are with all of the like gross and cr- like grime that comes with some of those things is when we feel we can actually do our best and most honest work. And it's really hard because we're constantly wanting to do our best work, but getting past that wall, we all often build up, especially as women of kind of having it all together to be in that space of openness, to have a community to lean on and to really safely and in a very healthy way process the pain too, as opposed to just kind of like dumping it out onto another person. There's so just like you said, like finding resources and tools that really help us safely process this information so that we feel we can do our best work and be our best self, you know, which is a, such a, a journey, but I love that that's, I love that you were able as a leader and it's, it's a testament to your ministry that you have the flexibility and adaptability to recognize the people in the room where you're saying as a leader, I thought that this is what this group needed. And I listened to them and I heard them and I gave them a chance to kind of pour out their, their, you know, their trials and their, the tough stuff, the issues. And then, you know, kind of shifting the brain from, wow, okay, as a leader, I thought I was pursuing this direction and I'm recognizing the people that I'm serving need something else. And that in and of itself, I think is a really beautiful moment of vulnerability for you as a leader too. It's just really powerful. Yeah. Aaron, you, you saying um, that about sometimes women feeling like they have to be perfect or kind of put up a a facade, they have to prove something. I think we often feel. Um, Michaela, what would you say for the woman who, you know, it's like, we don't, we, we, want women to know that they don't have to have everything dealt with to lead well. And yet, you know, you talk about your stuff is leaking out all over everybody else, which by the way, definite autobiography title in there somewhere, although it sounds (laughs) disgusting, but I feel like there's something there Um, that, you know, what would you say to a woman on how, how does she know where that line is of knowing that she doesn't have to have everything dealt with and be a whole super high functioning, healthy person to lead well. And also the high awareness that all of our undealt and wounds and all that does affect and impact those around us that we lead. Yeah. I I think that that's really, really important. And to become discerners of the space in which we do our work is, is really important. There's a ton of risk in dealing with stuff and I think actually there's more risk in not dealing with it though, because then you're just like passing it on and making it worse. Yeah. But it's not the case. Uh, like, so I can't, I don't go into meetings with my boss and do this work. Like that's not because my boss isn't a great person, but because this is like, I really need to be doing this with a coach or with a therapist or with a group even like the one I just described, who's decided that this is the work they're going to do right now. Um, we've had, we've had over 200 people go through that process now. And it's, and people wow. are like, this is the most meaningful thing I've done. And that's awesome. It, it, and I think it's because it's some space to do it. Right. So, it, and, and we iterated along the way to Aaron's point, we had made tons of adjustments. So I think recognizing where you do, where in particular you do the work, you don't, it's not that you have to never be honest with your boss. That's not true. You want to be honest with your boss, but 
the the way in which you're revealing and what you're bringing up at any given moment is is critical the same with all the people who are entrusted to your care they're they're watching you they're you know they're taking their cues from you a, le- a measure of that kind of vulnerability goes a ton a long way to say we're in this together too much of that is like okay now now this is what we're doing together we're dealing with michaela's stuff all the time which is less helpful for the shared goals and the work so i think explicit spaces to do the work is really critical i don't i don't i'll be honest i don't know of tons of those spaces right those spaces are not necessarily in plenty i mean i have i have a coach i have a mental health therapist i've seen at times i have like a a handful of really good friends i have um, a spirit kind of a spiritual mentor from longtime church setting and then I've, I've got increasingly less peers and colleagues in my work situations to kind of do some of this stuff with because the situations have changed. So I don't want to pretend that these are just ample, um, but finding even one good space to do this work and explicitly is, is worth the effort. Yeah, that's really significant. It is something that we talk about, you know, in the conversations we have with our Lead Bold community about how it is hard to find uh, your people, you know, whatever whatever that is. So I think you speak well to that. Um, you know, it's interesting because as you're talking about finding the space and kind of switching gears from, you know, you're in this space and you're able to process and pay attention to this, but when you're in this space, it changes. It kind of reminds me of just the beginning of our conversation about how we as women, we are equipped to be able to hold both those things, you know, put one to the forefront and one back and then switch them. And so I I guess that is a strength uh, for us to be able to still be leading well and still be processing the things that get in the way of our leadership. So in in a way, I see that as an encouragement. We can do it, y'all. See how I did that, y'all? We can do it. God made us to be able to hold a lot of things, and that means that our leadership is empowered, and we don't have to let that thing that seems to be in the way of it, we don't have to let it stop us. It's just that awareness and paying attention and not being afraid to look our pain in the eye, I guess, right? Yeah, I think that's very well said. I, I like the image of a dance floor. Um, yes. I, you know, in terms of leading and participating and being, I want to, and I, I picture like those like Downton Abbey dance floor, dances, like very orchestrated. We're not talking about the walls. <laughs> dances, I don't know how to do for the record. But you're both, you're both a person who's dancing and moving and knowing how to coordinate and go in and out. And at the same time as a leader, you part of you is always up on the balcony watching how you move through the room and how that impacts the other people that you're brushing up against and the fact i do actually think our like our our feminine brains are good at this and that we can do a bit of that but it's just calling it what it is and it's like oh i'm i'm like again i'm my stuff's kind of getting on everybody there i'm bumping up against everybody or wow, I can really bring what I'm processing in and there's fluid movement that's making space for other people. And so it's been helpful for me to think about a dance floor, both both being an active dancer as a leader and also being able to watch how what I does impacts other people from up on the balcony. That's a great visual. Um, Yeah, that's really, really good. 
I like that a lot. I'm going to keep thinking about that. Um, well, we've already talked a lot, I think, about what it is to be bold. We haven't said that word, but all of this is being bold. Uh, but we we do have that third question, Michaela, which is just a really broad-based question of, to you, what does it mean for you to lead bold? Let's close with that. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, it is a lot of stuff we've been talking about, which is sort of summed up as being wholehearted, right? And not being afraid to be wholehearted. I I was doing, I was in a research project at one point and I was interviewing a woman who had, she started a, a ministry and a nonprofit that all of us would know the name of if I said it out loud. And I kind of asked her like, how'd you like, tell me the story. And she said, listen, everything I've ever done worth doing has been because I wasn't afraid to hear my own voice out loud and like go for it. And to me, that's that's wholeheartedness and that's bravery and that's boldness. So part the wholeheartedness is not not only about giving wholeheartedly and receiving wholeheartedly, but about about being wholehearted with ourselves and about hearing our own voice. That's so awesome. I think people in leadership positions um you know, we can be really good actors and mm -hmm. we can definitely, um, I think, you know, we can hide from the sense of like sometimes deep, like self-deprecation and a lot of fear and holding, like, like giving others a lot more grace sometimes than we would even give ourselves. And, um, I think it's really powerful to perceive that like, that's what makes you bold is like, you know, all, all in all the, the through lines of what we said today, this like, introspection and the comfort of being who you are allows you to be that much more of a powerful leader. And that is, you know, it's the, the scary work. It's the important work. It's the hard work. It's the like really rewarding work in getting to know our shortcomings and our own like skill sets and an incredible gifting at the same time. Yeah, it's totally that, that concept of God really will use all of us. And so, you know, to your point earlier, Michaela, that we we set the table and we sit at the table and we bring our whole selves to the table. And um, I'm so thankful for your insights and sharing with us today. Erin, did you come up with any better autobiography than I'm leaking all over people? <laughs> well, you had so many great metaphors here, though. I love what we talked about in the beginning, like the deep dive versus snorkeling, right? And understanding. Oh, yeah, that was good. Section, talking about the dance floor. Scuba dance floors. I know, like the setting, setting the table and then people <laughs> looking at it. Like there's, uh, there's like a thousand here. We'll have to come up with something real juicy for the title. We'll, we'll yeah. Oh, and there was the stained glass too. That was yes. a good one too. Oh, oh, it's a lot. It's gonna. Yeah, we're gonna need to workshop this. This is we'll, right. We'll, we can't wait. Options. Watch for the title of this episode, and then oh, and I cannot Michaela, wait. Then you have to go write that book. We forgot That's to right. tell you that part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that I can wait on. So I cannot wait for the title. I will wait a little longer on taking on a whole book. You, you just wrote a book. So uh, you probably need a recovery period after that for sure. Fair enough. Uh, well, Michaela, is there anything you want to add to the conversation before we say goodbye to our listeners? Just that I love the work that y'all are doing. And it's been really good to talk to you today. And thank you. Well, thank you. We're so glad to have you. It's been amazing. Yeah, we've really appreciated the conversation. I know it's going to be encouraging and challenging in deep ways to those who have listened. So thanks for being with us. And we will be with you all again on our next Lead Bold podcast. Thanks so much.
Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for joining us with this awesome conversation with Michaela O'Donnell. We want to remind you about her phenomenal book. It is available wherever books are sold. And if you want more information, you can also go to Dupree.org to find out more about what's going on in Michaela's world. Uh, for us at Lead Bold, we have some exciting things coming up. We want to remind you guys about our virtual conference. So totally available to anybody. No need to actually have to be there in person. That is Saturday, um, April 29th, and it's from 9 to noon. Tickets are going to be going on sale in March. So you can find out more about that coming up shortly at leadingbold.org slash events. Or if you're just looking to connect with us, we encourage you to check out our Instagram. We have our weekly chats on Wednesdays. And above all, we're here for you, a place that is safe, a community for women to learn more about leaning into their calling. We'll see you next time.